seems like God is really trying to open the eyes of the saints right now, and I'm glad to be in the presence of people who have their eyes open spiritually, knowing that, uh, that God is, well, I'll get to that at the end of the message today, but God is making sure that we know what's going on, that he's on the move. Uh, certainly when, when God is on the move, you can see Satan on the move as well. Satan's like a cornered cat. His time is short. He knows that. And we are going to see some incredible, incredible things happen in our lifetime. We're already seeing that. But uh, today, let's, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 15. It's where we're going to be. So just a, a little forewarning, we're going to finish 15 today. Next week when we come together, we're going to go back to 13, and we're going to finish out chapter 13. So today... Um, chapter 15. Remember from last week, if you were here, we saw that John saw the vision of the Battle of Armageddon, this final battle that's going to take place. He saw this vision of it. Uh, In the 16th chapter, when we get to that, you're going to see that he'll be talking about that battle in great detail. Remember, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. I love using the, the example of the very beginning of Genesis, where God gives this account that he created the heavens and the earth in the first chapter, then he goes in the second chapter and fills in those details. And that's what we've seen in the book of Revelation is we see some information given in one chapter, and then the next chapter will go back and then go and kind of fill in some of the blanks, and then it'll move forward and then go back. And so we've been kind of doing that back and forth. Today in Revelation 15, we're going to see kind of some details of what we heard in Revelation 5 and 7. Revelation 7, uh, verse 13 says, the one, one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. In other words, I don't know. You know who they are. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, these are the ones that in chapter 5, John said that he saw them um, being saved out of the great tribulation. He, he saw them being under the altar. And then, of course, in chapter 7, he saw, saw them, the great multitude, and they were the ones saved out of the great tribulation. Tonight, in chapter 15, we're going to get more detail about these 144,000 not just the 144,000, but of course, all the tribulation saints, all the ones that were saved out of the tribulation. So let's take a look at verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. If you remember to the very beginning of the book of Revelation, we were kind of setting the stage for this whole book and some of the things that you would expect. And one of the things we said is expect to hear the number seven over and over and over again. And this first verse of the 15th chapter doesn't disappoint. Here we hear the number seven again, and we have heard it over and over, number seven being the the number of completion, the number of perfection, and here we see God's perfect judgment poured out upon the earth, these seven last plagues, in them the wrath of God being complete. So that's the number seven, the number of completion. But we've seen this number throughout Scripture, and even 
the warning that you would have seven more plagues coming upon you. We saw that all the way back in the book of Leviticus. If you want to turn there, I'm just going to read a little bit out of Leviticus chapter 26 real quick, and we'll get back into Revelation 15. But Leviticus 26 says in verse 1, "...you shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves." Nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. God is not willing to share his glory. God is a God who's very jealous in the perfect sense, not the way you and I get jealous, but he's a jealous God in the sense that what relationship he created you for is is a relationship to be in with him, the one true living God. He's not willing that you would glorify anything else but him as God. So he's not willing to share his glory with anyone so or anything. So he, he gives this warning. We saw that in Exodus. We see it here in Leviticus. This warning not to make for yourself a graven image. Bow yourself down before it. And yet, throughout history, what have people done? made graven images, bow themselves down in front of it. In fact, there's even entire religions that base themselves on this type of action and selling these articles and then causing you to feel like you're holy because you're bowing down to it, even though we're told not to do it in God's Word. God is very serious about His relationship with humanity. He cares much. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and he wants us to live in a way that glorifies him. Now, verse 2 says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So he's, he's kind of hammering down even more about his sanctuary and, and uh, his Sabbaths. These days, what is a Sabbath? It's a day of rest and time with the Lord. He says, If you walk in my statutes, verse 3, and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season, and the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing uh, shall last till the time of the vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. This is a, a picture of God's blessing upon people where he says, just do what I'm telling you to do. If you'll just be obedient, if you'll just do what's right, honor me, honor my Sabbaths, show reverence in my house, do what's good and right, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out blessing in so much that your, your sowing will last into this time, and then your reaping will last into this time. It's like, in other words, you're just going to be perpetually blessed. You, you're never going to run out of blessing. It's always going to be good for you if you'll just do what I'm telling you to do. When, and this is talking to the people of Israel. Now, as you look back on the nation of Israel, what we know is they were never consistent at doing that. They continually fell, they continually sinned, and yet God still remains faithful to them to this day. He says, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. So again, blessing, supernatural blessing. I mean, how many people are going to run away? 10,000? 
This is incredible supernatural interaction. We saw that with Gideon, right? With Gideon, God, God tells him, hey, let's thin the herd a little bit. We're going we're gonna to have this great battle. In fact, we're going to whittle this down. I want only 300 guys to fight. And those 300 killed 135,000 people. That's not any sort of, you know, any sort of um, numbers a military leader wants. Like, okay, I'm going up against 135,000, and you're going to give me 300 Marines? I don't know, I guess the Marines could do it. But, <laughs> but that's, that's supernatural. We see God's blessing upon that. And then he goes on, if, if you would skip down to, to verse 18, but he goes on to say, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, it says, after all of this, or all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your, your teeth, I'm sorry, and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall trees of the land yield their fruit." That is a striking contrast to the blessings of God. He's saying, you do what I'm, what I'm telling you to do, you're going to be blessed. You don't do what I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to withhold my blessings from you. Then, verse 21, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. So this was all the way back in the book of Leviticus, and here we are tonight in the book of Revelation, two different dispensations. When I say dispensations, I'm talking about different time periods and the way God interacts and, and how He does what He does with humanity. It was different prior to the coming of Christ, when Christ came and He was the sacrifice, then the new dispensation. We're in a new dispensation right now, reading in the book of Revelation the, the concept that God is a God that blesses, but he's also a God that will withhold that blessing if his people aren't doing what they're called to do. Not only will he withhold blessing, but then he'll bring plagues. He'll bring a curse to those who are going against him. They're walking contrary to God. Now, let me just, for, for giggles, let me ask, are we living in a culture that's going against God? I mean, we, I can't find a place in our culture where our culture isn't going against God. We're going against Him with issues of life, sexuality, gender, marriage, parenting, family. I mean, you name it. Our culture has, has rejected God and is walking contrary to Him. And then we wonder, where is God's judgment? And the fact is, and we'll see tonight, it, it is coming, and it's not going to be pretty for those that are here. And good news, you already know this, we're not going to be here for that. Amen. Re uh, go back to Revelation 15 with me, if you would. So Revelation 15, verse 2. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. If you remember back to chapter 4 in the book of Revelation, it said that before the throne you could see glass like crystal, and it was 
showing the purity of who God is. And whenever you see water, um, there's a couple of things that it could be. But we, we talked about how this is the Word of God. It's the purity of God's Word. Here, it's mingled with fire. So this is speaking of God's divine judgment. His judgment is pure. It's scary, but it's pure. It comes from a, a pure position. When God pours out judgment on people, it is rightly deserved. And not only is it rightly deserved, but God isn't quick to pour it out. God is very patient, sometimes more patient than, than we think he should be, but we're not God. But we, we know that he's patient, he's long-suffering, and again, he's not willing that anyone would perish, that all would come to repentance. It's talking about those who have victory over the beast. Now, we, we didn't go too much into it, or Ken didn't go too much into it when he was in the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Um, and I, I think he'll probably touch on it some more as he finishes the chapter, but you all know that there's coming a point in time when nobody's going to be involved in the economy of the world unless they have that mark. It's going to be on their right hand, on their forehead. This is the mark of the Antichrist, which is just a ripoff of what the 144,000 have, right? The 144,000 are marked in their forehead is the name of God, and these people on earth are going to be forced to take a mark on their forehead, and it's in allegiance to the Antichrist. We, as a, as a people, we have been conditioned now. Now, I'm not talking about us sitting here in this room or you watching online, unless you're one of my trolls, but, <laughs> but if you're watching because you legitimately enjoy our watch and you're, you, know, you like knowing what's going on in the world, we know this. We know that we watched, over the last few years, we watched the world governments collaborate with one another and find a way that they could control everyone on the planet. Now, they didn't, clearly they didn't control everyone because we stayed open here at, at 412 Church. We stayed open. We didn't mask. We didn't, you know, we went against the mandates, all that kind of stuff. But by and large, as you look at what happened around the world, they were very successful in controlling the whole world and making it well known that unless you did what they told you to do, you could not be involved in the economy of the world. You couldn't buy a plane ticket and get on a plane, couldn't go to the grocery store and buy food at the grocery store, couldn't go to work unless your work was deemed essential. So in other words, you couldn't be involved in the economy of the world. And we saw them start to, to roll out this idea that you would need a passport, and this would be a digital passport, saying that you've received a shot that you didn't want to receive. But if you wanted to go to work, you had to get it. And you wanted to be able to travel and buy a plane ticket and go see grandma, you had to get it. And I'm not saying that the shot that they wanted everybody to get is the mark of the beast. In fact, I've been very clear from day one, I don't think it is. However, I do think it, it was a way of conditioning the world to receive it. And I do believe that most people are going to end up getting it. There's going to be a lot that don't, but I think most people are going to get it. Most people have been conditioned, well, this is just what I have to do. 
you know, I, oh, I have to, you know, if I want to go to work and I don't want to lose my job and I want to be able to travel and I, I have to buy food and, and eventually it'll be, and I don't want my head cut off because that's what'll happen if you don't take the mark. But we've watched how easy it is. I, I remember when, when they first were saying that everybody had a mask up because I used to do missions all over Asia. I was in and out of China all the time and I remember seeing you know, the Chinese people with masks on their face, and I thought, oh, how horrible to live in communism. How horrible that they make them put a mask on their face. This is terrible. And I, when they first said they're going to make everybody wear masks, I remember I looked at my wife. We were driving down the road. We were hearing this on the radio. And I look at her, I go, are they kidding? No American's going to do that. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. I just thought there's no way America is going to do that. China, yeah, I've seen that, but not in America, and like overnight. So easy. And getting people to buy in and giving 20-year-olds 20, 20 this all of a sudden like power trip over 80-year-olds to kick them out of stores and not let them buy groceries, and I couldn't believe it. How fast and how easy. And now at this point, so easy to assign a, a digital thing that would go into your hand or your forehead. So you walk into a store that knows you, who you are. You can buy, sell, trade. You can be involved in the economy of the world if you get this mark. So easy at this point. It's not even sci-fi anymore. It is such a reality. And that's what's going to be imposed, some sort of mark. But the only thing is, you're, and we talked about this last week, you're not going to take this mark unknowingly. You're going to know that when you do this, you are pledging your allegiance to the Antichrist. You are taking the mark of the beast. You're not going to, go, you're not going to be able to stand before God and go, oh, I, I didn't know. It's going to be very clear what's taking place. So these that are standing here in Revelation 15, verse 2, these are the ones that had victory over the beast. Now, that's not to say that they themselves conquered the beast, because they didn't, but they had victory in the sense that they were not overcome by the beast. So no matter how difficult it was for them, and no doubt it was difficult, um, people are going to rat out their neighbors for not having the mark. There's going to be all, you know, because you would think, oh, well, we're just going to We'll take one person who has the mark, and that one person can, we'll give them money, and then they can buy us food. And not going to be able to do that. It's not going to happen. People are going to rat you out, and you're going to have to go stand face to face with them and either say yes or no to the mark. And you say no, they're going to cut your head off. So these are the ones that were martyred, they would not pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. And here they are, and they're victorious. And what it says in verse 3 is that these ones who were victorious, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now, those aren't two songs. It's, it is the song of Moses, and it is also the song of the Lamb. So it's one song that has both parts to it. So if you have the Song of Moses, that's representative of the law. You have the Song of the Lamb, that's love. Now you see the law and love perfectly together in one song. The Song of Moses is all the way from the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. 
In Exodus, you recall when the Israelites had gone through their plagues, and, and the people of Egypt had gone through the plagues, and they kept going to Pharaoh. Moses kept going to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh kept hardening his heart, and God kept sending plague after plague. Eventually, they were let go. They came to the Red Sea. God parted the sea through Moses. Israelites walked across, and when they got to the other side, and God closed the waters in on the, the chariots of Pharaoh, it says in, in Exodus 15 that they sang a song. I'm not going to go and read the whole song to you tonight, but there's this song as they look back, and it's a song of victory. It's a song of, of recognizing God for who He is and recognizing that you've been brought out of slavery. And that is a song that you and I could sing. We've been brought out of slavery, slavery to sin. We've been bought at a price, and we are now bond servants or bond slaves to Jesus Christ. We've been brought out of the slavery to sin, though. In Deuteronomy 32, the song is also sung, the song of Moses, and they're told in, in Deuteronomy 32 to teach the song to their kids. And the idea is you've got to remember what God has done in your life because as you remember it, it causes you to not want to repeat what got you in there in the first place. And you can imagine some hundreds of years later as they found themselves enslaved again in Babylon, you can imagine them reading Deuteronomy 32 and going, oh my gosh, we did it again. And now we need to be delivered again. So here's these, these people, 144,000. Remember, they're all Jews. And these Jewish people have made it through. And now they're singing that song of Moses, that they have, they have been delivered by the one that can deliver them. They've been delivered by God. And not only are they singing the song of Moses, but it is simultaneously the song of the Lamb. You guys all read the Song of the Lamb, and that was in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to, your, to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. What a beautiful song to be able to sing, that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and that you are now kings and priests to God. Verse 3 continues by saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. It's an important thing to remember the works of God. Daniel chapter 4, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, he does this. He, the king, he writes this declaration to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. It is a very important thing to remember the works of God that He's done, not just for the nation of Israel as we read the Word, but for us personally what he's delivered us from. I think back to me growing up 
and doing my time of rebellion against my parents and living, living like hell, basically, just doing what I wanted to do. And I knew that, that if I continued in that lifestyle, I was going to hell. I knew it because I was raised to know who God is. And I gave my life to the Lord, and he rescued me out of that. And I'm forever grateful. And I can look back to all the things God's done in my life, bringing me a wonderful wife and giving me wonderful kids and now grandkids. You know, the, the blessings and the things that God has done in my life and, and allowing me an opportunity to be a pastor and, and all the various things I've done as a pastor and the, the countries I've traveled to and learned another language and, you know, I've just done some incredible things with the Lord. And I, I think it's good that we all do that, that we pause and remember what he has done in our lives. These people who are standing here in heaven and they're, they're thinking back to all that God has done, and they start to declare this, because they sing this song, right? And they're, In their song, they're saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. These are people who saw the work of redemption, they saw how God had saved people. They saw how God had marked people on the foreheads and how they went through the tribulation time and nothing could stop them. Nothing could harm them until God was done with everything he wanted to accomplish in their life. And not only that, they, they experienced his work in creation. When you look at God's works in creation, it really is pretty incredible when you think about it. Um, think about all the stars. Think about how vast space is. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, there was a, a guy, Louis Giglio, who did this thing called uh, How Great Is Our God? And that just tripped me out watching that. If you haven't seen it, it's a good watch. Um, but he, he talks about the size. He says, if the earth was a golf ball, and then he starts talking about how many earths fit inside our sun, and then he he shows, shows this amount. Then, it, well, what, how many in this size star, and then this size star, and then this size star, and then you see how huge space is, and God created all of that. That's pretty incredible. And then he brought it back down to earth, and the smallest particles, and you think about all that God has created and how things are held together. And you look at what... what Physicists have been trying to find, they call it the God particle, this particle that holds everything together. Because when you think about what we have here on earth, it's all empty. When you think about it, it's all just energy. What is an atom, right? An atom is positive and negative energy wrapped around itself. It's just energy. If you were to take it apart, there wouldn't be anything there. And yet these atoms that are just Particles of energy start sticking together and you have solid matter. And it's just energy. It could be taken apart and it wouldn't even be anything anymore. And yet by God's will, all of his creation is being held together. And not just that, but a part of the creation is time, which he is not bound by. So just in God's creation, we see the, the various animals and insects and birds and all these, these things. And you can't help but to, to just be in awe of who he is. And so they saw the works of God's creation. They saw the works of his redemption. 
And not only that, but they saw the works of his judgment, which is pretty horrific, the works of his judgment. They saw all of these plagues that we talk about, all these judgments that were poured out. They saw this stuff happen. And just as they've seen these things happen, they say here in, uh, in verse 3, they say, Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. When you see somebody being judged by God, and you see how, how hard it is on them to be judged by God, it's a hard thing sometimes to also recognize that it is just. You know, there's something about us that, as human beings, we, we, we want to just see mercy, especially when it's for us, right? Um, and thank God for His mercy. His mercies are new every day on us. And every time we see the sun rise, we know that His mercy is new. And, and I praise God for that. However, like Leviticus 26 had said at the very beginning of the talk tonight, there's going to come a point in time where he withholds the blessings. And mercy is a blessing. <laughs> there's come a point in time where he says, look, you're not going to walk, you're going to walk contrary to me? I'm going to pour out some judgment. And it's right when God does that. It's good when God does that. I, I've said this before, and I really do believe it. I believe that we are experiencing God's judgment today, right here in California. One of the ways God judges people is by allowing wicked men to rule. I believe we're being judged as a state. You know, um, you ever heard that if you, if you ask God for something long enough, he'll, he'll let you have it? <laughs> Sometimes when, when it's, it's not what he wants for you, but you keep saying you want it, he's like, oh, you want it. Like I talked about this in my, uh, my message on Sunday at church. I was talking about the nation of Israel and how they said, we want a man to be ruler over us. And God says, well, I'm king over you. You want a guy to do that? You some some human being to do that? No, but here's what's going to happen. And he lists it all out. And they go, no, yeah, we do want that. We want to be like everyone else. And he's like, fine, here you go. And we're kind of like that today here in, in America and very much so in California where the vast majority of people in our state said, this is what we want. And God says, oh, you want that? Here you go. You want Gavin Newsom? Here you go. No. <laughs> I mean, none of us wants that. But a vast majority of people in our state said yes to that multiple times. And God's like, okay, have it. And the guy's about as wicked as a, a person can get. But it's just, it's right, it's proper that God would do that. It wakes up His people and opens their eyes. When you start feeling that oppression from wicked rulers, it wakes you up. It makes you realize, i got to do something. Something's got to change. We can't keep letting things go the way they're going. So it's a good thing when God brings judgment. Now, judgment and wrath, different things. Um, judgment, there's still 
there's still some hope when judgment's taken place. You know, he's, he's given you time. This is the whole point of, of these plagues that are being poured out over and over again. It's trying to draw people in, trying to get them to know that he is God. Like we saw last week, the angel flying around heaven saying, fear God. You're seeing all this stuff happen. Yeah, this is terrible stuff, but don't fear these things. Fear the one that can make it happen. He's the one doing it, so fear him. And it says here in verse 4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. It's a weird thing, a weird concept to, to fear God. And a lot of people say, I don't want to have to serve a God that I have to be afraid of. The fact remains, you, you don't know him unless you fear him. The, begin, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the one that has that name above every name. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's going to happen. Whether people like it or not, at some point, they're going to have no option but to declare that he is who he says he is. Prior to that taking place, however, we have the option to doing that on our own will. We, we have an option of fearing him for who he is and bowing our knee and confessing him as Lord. It's a foolish thing to not fear the Lord. But that's exactly what we have in our state today. We look at the state legislature. You see what kind of stuff they're pushing out. I don't know if you saw um, the Senate committee had recently passed AB 665. That's that, that bill that would have permit children as young as 12 years old to consent to their own uh, mental health care and place themselves into a state-funded group home. So if, if a kid says, oh, I just don't like how mom and dad are treating me. This is harmful on my mental health. I don't want to be with mom and dad. I'm going. I'm leaving. And 12-year-olds can do this. AB 957 tells judges in custody uh, disputes that parents who won't affirm their children's transgender ideology are a threat to their health, safety, and welfare. The kind of people that do that, that put those kind of bills in place, those are people who have absolutely zero fear of God. And what's weird is many of them claim to be people of faith. Most of them, Catholic, oh, I'm Catholic. Like Joe Biden, I don't know if you know, Joe Biden's a Catholic. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. <laughs> the guy's the worst Catholic I've ever seen. Um, these people have no fear of God. You, if, you can't write bills like this and say that you're afraid of God. And there's the same kind of people that say, well, why would I want to fear him? He's a, he's a loving God. Well, yeah, he's loving, but he's to be feared. He's God. He can send your soul to hell. It is so important to have a healthy fear of God. And it's like I said there in, in verse 4, who shall not fear you, O, o Lord? This, this is the result of them seeing the judgment poured out 
over and over again. They're like, hey, there's no way people can not fear you now. Now they know. Now they see it. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. We saw this back in Psalm, the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. It said in verse 27, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So Psalm 22 was prophetic in nature, speaking about what would come, come to place later on in the future. But they're seeing this now, that all nations shall come and worship before you. Your judgments have been manifested. That's a scary thing, that your judgments have been manifested. See, up until that point, God had been talking about his judgments, but now they've been manifested. We're, we're hearing about these judgments now. We're hearing about them because we're paying attention, and we know these things are coming, and we can share this with other people, and thankfully, we're not going to be here when those things go on. Thank God. But they're going to see it as though it's already there. It's manifested. It's happening. It's happened. Scary, scary proposition. Verse 5 says, After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So know this, that in the book of Exodus, when God gave Moses those specific instructions for building the tabernacle, and he, oh, he says, carry this out specifically the way I'm telling you, build this exactly, it was... It was a replica of what's in heaven. And that's why it was so specific. You had to do it exactly the way God had instructed. And not only did God give the instruction, but then he gave the ability to certain men to have this craftsmanship and be able to actually create the articles that he was telling them to create. But it was a replica of what you see in heaven. And here in heaven it says that, that it was opened, and verse 6 says, out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. So the idea that these angels come out of the temple shows that they're not coming from their own authority. They're coming directly from the presence of God. In other words, they're on a mission, and they've been dispatched by God. They have the seven plagues, so there's no mercy at this point. And that's important for us to, to know. That's why I said, um, when, when God's showing judgment, He'll do so for a while. And eventually, His time of patience is over. And as they come with these plagues, there isn't going to be a way to back out of it at that point. It's, it's being poured out. It's happening. There's no stopping it. The only way out is to have given your life over prior, because now this stuff's being poured out. And these are clothed in pure, bright linen. So the idea is they're pure. This is a pure judgment from God. There is nothing wrong with what's about to happen. It's not, it's not a beautiful thing that's about to happen, but it's not a wrong thing that's about to happen. God's judgment is true and right. Then, verse 7 one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. So the idea of these bowls being full is God's, God's wrath is being stored up. 
Like I said, he's patient. So his, his wrath is building, it's building, it's building. And it's building against who? Against people who are walking contrary to him. So it's building as people continue. The judgments are being poured out, but now wrath, because they're, they're not giving themselves over to the Lord, the wrath is being built up and built up. When bowls are full, eventually what has to happen? It's got to spill over, right? And that's what, what we're seeing here is this is full and there's no backing out at this point. The, the idea of the smoke, we saw that in Exodus as well. Exodus chapter 40 says that the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the idea that Moses could not go in is the same idea of what we see here in verse 8, as verse 8 continues, because it says, no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So there's nothing holding it back at this point. There is no entering in at this point. It's so filled with with the glory of God, there's nothing that can be done. His wrath is going to be poured out. And I want to, and that's the end of this chapter, and we're going to stop here tonight because next week we're going to go back in time to Revelation 13. But I want to close with this because that's a scary thing to me. Not scary for me because I know where I'm going and I know how I'm getting there. But it's a scary thing for me to know that there are going to be people possibly people I know that are going to be alive at the time that happens, where the wrath of God is poured out and there's going to be no stopping it. There's, there's going to be no second chance. They're like, oh, wait, 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 let me just bow my knee now. No, you should have done that already. That's scary for me to think about because there's so many people I know that are not willing to walk with God. And they're all too willing to walk contrary to God. That day is coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, You, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. I know many of you, you remember Chuck Smith. And Chuck was 100% convinced And I heard him speak about this often. He was 100% convinced that the rapture would take place in his lifetime. 100%. And I actually had a person tell me once, Tim, you got to stop talking about this prophecy stuff because it just makes you look foolish. You know, Chuck Smith used to say that he thought the rapture was going to happen in his lifetime, and now he's dead. And look at how foolish he looks. And I, I, I was beside myself when this person said that. I'm like, foolish? Over 1,800 Calvary chapels worldwide, people growing in the Word of God, sharing their faith, their families changed, life changed for eternity, and that's foolish? I don't think it's a foolish thing. I think that Chuck was living the way God told him to live, and that, that is in that dichotomy where you, you're living two, two ways simultaneously. You live in as though he's coming back right now, that you firmly believe it's going to happen right now, and you believe that it won't happen in your lifetime. You're living both ways simultaneously. There is 
this understanding, though, like we just read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, that we are not in the dark. We're in the light. This, this isn't going to overtake us. I think if, if those things that we're looking to happening, then I think they're going to happen sometime soon. If those things would have happened when Chuck was alive, guess what? He would have been prepared. It would not have overtaken him. If you go back and listen to, to Chuck's messages, he was, he was firmly convinced that, that it was going to happen any moment. And because of that, he was ready. And because he was ready, his other pastors were ready. And because they were ready, their congregations were ready. What has happened since Chuck died, many of the pastors stopped talking about prophecy. And what's happened now, you see a lot of them, a lot of the Calvary chapels, are not filled with people who are rapture ready. They're just not. They're not ready for it. They, they, it's not even in their mind. They're not even looking for the signs of these things to take place. It's so important for us as believers to read through these things in the book of Revelation and go, okay, that is going to happen. And I've been told by God's word that it's not going to take me like a thief does in the night. If you knew approximately when that thief was going to come, you would be awake, gun ready, right? I mean, that's the idea is you're, you're not, you don't go to sleep and just tune that out because you, know you know approximately when it's going to happen. That's the same for us as believers. It's not going to overtake us like a thief in the night. We're going to be aware of what's going on. We don't get to know. We don't know the day or hour, but we certainly know the season. And there is absolutely zero doubt in my mind that we are, we are fast approaching. Like I said, the labor signs, labor pains, more frequent, more intense. Chuck thought it was bad when he was alive. If he could see what we're seeing today, men dressed as women parading around children with no clothes on, I mean, if he could see that, Chuck would roll over in his grave. <laughs> I think the most important thing for us as we share this with other people is for them to, to know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. These things are going to happen. The only way to not experience the wrath of God is to find salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. So we have to teach these things. We have to be eyes open, rapture ready, because it could happen at any moment. It could happen before we, we leave tonight, and I don't think any of us would cry about it. <laughs> but it could happen at any moment, and we need to be ready and well aware of, of the signs of the times that we are living in. Jesus told the, the people in Israel, he said, you should have known. And really, they could have counted down to the day. They should have known when he was coming. How much more so should we, as we look back on history and see how perfect he fulfilled the scriptures. And all the scriptures we have to look forward to him fulfilling, shouldn't we be even more aware and more, you know, giving more attention to these things? So that way we don't have to go through the wrath. And our family members won't have to go through the wrath. So my encouragement to you is be rapture ready. 
Have your eyes open. I know I'm probably preaching to the choir, but maybe somebody's sharing this message with somebody who, who hadn't thought about these things. Be well aware. We can go at any moment. And it's so important for us to be awake, not woke. Awake and watching everything going on all around us. Because all of these things that Jesus told us to look for are happening all around us. It's important for us to to not only know these things, but to share them. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for opening our eyes to these things. Lord, there's a heaviness that comes as we, as we do look at these things, but there's also a joy, knowing that we aren't appointed for the wrath that is to come, and knowing that we have great hope. We have hope in the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. Lord, we have hope that your son Jesus will accomplish all that he said that he will, and we have every reason to believe that. So thank you for opening our eyes to the signs of the times that we are living in. Help us, Lord, to continue to be the light of the world, the salt of the world. Father, I pray that we would stand watch for our families and that we would see what is coming and we would sound the alarm That way they would not have to die in their sin. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next week right here on our watch.